0: Haggai goes right into what I want to talk about. I think it fits perfectly tonight. Haggai, two chapters here. Out of the Minor Prophets, Haggai is my favorite. I probably know more about the book of Haggai than any of the Minor Prophets, and it also helps that it's short, so it's good that I, you know, the shorter they are, you know more about that book. And uh, I don't know if, I don't think I've told many people. I don't even know if i told Caroline the reason. I was thinking about it this afternoon. Haggai is my favorite Minor Prophet book. When I was a young man, probably about 12 years, like you're still a young man. When I was even younger, about 12 years old, my brother-in-law, pastor of a church in Riverside, he started a church. And uh, I remember one Sunday night, I might even have been 11, it might have been a little bit younger, I don't remember, somewhere in there. But he got up and he preached from the book of Haggai that night. And my brother-in-law, he said that this, this book is what God laid on his heart, that it was time to go start a church. And I just remember as an 11, 12-year-old boy thinking, man, I want God to use me someday. I want to go start a church. I want to build God's house. And so the book of Haggai has always had a special place in my heart. I texted my brother-in-law earlier to remind him about that. And I'm thankful for that message then because it really tied my heart to this book. And an Old Testament book, I don't, this is my book. And that's an interesting thing and just a thought. Those of you you know, be it Ryan, Caroline, be it Sunday school teachers, Edna, you know, on Sunday nights, Jennifer and Allison and whoever teaches, Jay with chapel and different things. You never know what little message, what word of God that you use that some kid's going to just pick up on, and it's going to change their life. And so the word of God does change lives, and I'm thankful for the way that it does. And don't Don't ever think you might have a group of kids and think they're never going to get this thing. But you never know. I was probably one of those kids. And my brother-in-law, probably the last one he expected that night to remember, that message would be me. But it left an imprint on my life and made me want to serve God. And so, teachers, you be faithful to what God's called you to do. We need you. The kids around here need you. You be faithful. And don't take it lightly. And this is just a little plug here. Don't take it lightly to be able to serve God and to teach. Make sure as you teach that you take time, and just like, just like a sermon for me, I'm spending hours upon hours, and I know you got jobs and everything else, but make sure you're spending a lot of time meditating on what you're teaching and getting it ready. Don't just go into your class and be like, oh, where are we going to go today? No, have it down, and we have great teachers, and I haven't been one of these Sunday nights I'm going to sneak down and around and hear Jennifer and hear Alice, I'm sure you guys do a great job. I've heard Edna and Rick, they do a great job with the kids, and uh, at school, Ryan does a great job, and when kids get in trouble, he's great at giving them verses, you never know which one of those verses, have you had to give out verses yet? No, it's only day two, we'll ask him that next, week. oh wait, we're a learning pod right now, so you don't give out verses for a learning pod? Oh no, we still do, we still do, and so, but uh, it's a privilege, and just, you never know what kids are going to pick up on, and so, it's the word of God will change lives. Haggai tonight. And as we look at it, not a very long book, not very long, what I got to say, maybe, maybe not. Haggai is a post-exile book. You could really throw Ezra and Nehemiah, those books, together right around here. When we were getting ready to go back to services after our little break, I preached a revival series for a week through the book of Haggai. You probably already forgot that, but that's okay. I did, and so there's probably not much more for you to learn from it. No, I'm sure there's a lot more you could learn. But you think about it in about um, 606 BC and going through the destruction of Jerusalem in 586, the Jews were taken captive, they were taken to Babylon, and they were in Babylon for 70 years. And after that time, God worked on the heart of a heathen king. And don't you, I love to see how God worked in the Bible in the hearts of heathen kings and moved them to do, God doesn't, it doesn't matter who is in control because God is ultimately in control and God can do whatever he wants to do, and his will will be done. And maybe it is God's will that churches suffer a little bit right now. Did you ever think about that? Maybe that's what God wants. Gets quiet when you say that. No, God wants me to be happy, and God wants everything great. Maybe God wants churches to get fined. Maybe he wants to see who will actually show up, who it really matters to. Seventy years they're in captivity, and God raises them up, and we know that Zerubbabel goes back, and that they were given all that they needed for the temple to build it and things, and God worked in a great way. And, well, and you think about this, about 50,000 of them went back to Jerusalem, about a 900-mile journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. And as this happened, and as they got there, the first thing that they did, we talked about Nehemiah, they built the wall, but before the wall got built, they built the temple. But what happened was they were given everything they needed for that temple. The king supplied everything that they would need, and they were going back to Jerusalem to build the temple. They get to Jerusalem, and the first thing that you do if you're going to build a building is you lay a foundation, right? Isn't that a good place to start? They built the foundation, and the foundation for the temple was built. People were excited. This is going to be great. And then for 16 years, the foundation laid there desolate. Nothing happened. No walls got built. You know you ever go around to like a construction site where at one time it was this busy, active construction site, then all of a sudden it stops. maybe there's just a cement pad. I think of and not, I'm not picking and making fun of anything. my home church for years they've wanted they I remember back in the day, they wanted to build a bigger building. So their first idea was they'd build this cement this concrete or cement. Lori's not here to correct me on that. But what is it? It's supposed to be cement or concrete. Yeah, she always bugs me concrete. So Lori, if you're watching, which you should be in church, you heathen, but concrete. And so, um, but they built this concrete, this big old foundation, and they were going to build a building there. And we're looking at 15 years later, and they have a slab of concrete that's got cracks in it, and weeds grow up in those cracks, and it's just sitting there. Now, for me, every time I see it, it's just a great reminder of what the temple foundation must have looked like with nothing being built around it. And I'm not saying that they should build, I'm not saying, I'm just saying it's just a great, it just reminds me of it. And what you see is God had supplied all these things, but God's house got put on hold. Foundation was laid. You can even look in the, read in the book of Ezra, the people were excited that the foundation was laid. It's time to build God's house. Everything stopped. God raised up. Haggai, Haggai, however you want to say it, he raised him up to preach to the people and for them to consider their ways. The preacher came to stir the hearts. That's what I want to look at tonight. Haggai chapter 1, verse number 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month in the first day of the month came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say that the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, consider, the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, And brought in little, ye eat, and ye have not, ye drink. But ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put in a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain. Now, it's interesting to me. They were given all that they needed to build the temple. But why now did they have to go up to the mountains and get the wood they needed to build the temple my suggestion or my thought here is they used god's supplies to make their houses furnished say it doesn't say that it says their houses were complete and we know when they got back to jerusalem was their economy great no it was not so what happened to the material my thought is it was probably used for their houses not god's house but i could be wrong And then we look at verse number eight, it says, Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I'll take pleasure in it. And I'll be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man into his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed with dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, upon men, and upon cattle, upon all that labor of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord." Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius, the king." Sixteen years, the foundation lay desolate. Sixteen years, the people that had left Babylon, that had come to Jerusalem for the purpose of rebuilding the temple, left the temple, lay empty. Haggai's message comes to the people. and His message is very simple. Hey, consider your ways look at what's going on in your life look real close why is this happening to you you go and it says there in verse number six there you so much but you bring in little you eat but you're never full you drink but you're still thirsty You get clothes, but your clothes aren't enough. Consider your ways. What are you doing? What's wrong with what you're doing? God's people have returned, but God's people are struggling to live the way God wanted them to live. So God raises up two prophets in Haggai and Zechariah that we'll look at next week. And this book, basically Haggai preaches four messages to the people over the course of three months. And in that time, you think about this, it's four short messages in three months. Really got to the heart of the people and God really began to work. We read in one message here that Zerubbabel, Joshua the high priest, the people, God stirred up their hearts and they began to work. I want to give you tonight those four messages, and I want you to think with me as we look at the book of Haggai tonight and give a little meaning to it. How this these four messages could apply to our lives. Number one, we see the first message was a message of misplaced priorities. Misplaced priorities. It's interesting. The people said in verse number two, "The time has not come." the time that the Lord's house should be built. Hey, it's not time to build God's house. And so God comes along and God is like, so it's not time to build my house, but it's time for you to build your house. And not only did you build your house, but you see there how it talks about the sealed house. Do you see this, the word sealed there? You see on the wall here, you got the, uh, the trim you got the little extra trim down here. You actually, let's look up on the platform. And you see, you know, back in the day, wainscoting was a big thing. Not as many people use it today. Could would do a wood wall like this, something like this. What it means is that the people's houses were not only done, but they had all the extra furnishings in their house. They had the right paint color. They, and maybe they changed it a couple times because, you know, sometimes you paint and it's just not the right color and you got to change it. Well, men don't care, ladies care about that stuff. But it's got to be the right color, got to have the right lighting, got to have all the right, their houses were set. And the Lord's like, I've got a problem here. You say it's not time for my house, but your house is sure to look out good. Uh, This thing of misplaced priorities. Hey, church, tonight, a message for us from this passage, are we investing in ourselves or are we honoring God by what we do? And yes, you got to take care of things for yourself, and I understand that thing. But tonight, are you pleasing God? Are you honoring God by what you do? Let me ask you tonight, is your house more important than God's house? Then you need to consider your ways. It's amazing. Young people that go to school, um, go to a learning pod here two days i saw a cheeto wrapper out on the ground over here this is god's house pick up your trash pick it up out on the grass hey when you come on sunday and your teachers give you candy and give you treats there should never be stuff left around it's god's house hey when you come in here don't leave it a mess when you leave We should leave God's house better when we leave than when we come. Honestly, right? Yeah. Well, if it were my house, I would do it this way. Well, this is God's house, so it should be done even better. Do you care about God's house? Or is it all about you tonight? Are your priorities more important than God's priorities? Then, Christian, it's time you consider your ways tonight. Are your passions more important? than God's, than God's uh, principles. You need to consider your ways. Hey, look at your schedule tonight. Look at your finances. Look at all these different things, where you spend your time and your money. Consider your ways. Look at your checkbook and look at where you spend all your time. You say, oh, I love God, and God gives no time at all. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Like, pastor, we're just supposed to do a little Bible study over this passage tonight. That's what we're doing. If you can spend thousands of dollars on personal comforts, but you struggle to support missionaries, your priorities are out of whack, and you need to consider your ways. If you can spend thousands of dollars on yourself, but you can't tithe, ooh, did I say that? Yeah, I did say that you might want to get your priorities straight and consider your ways. If you have no problem giving hours to a sporting event or a movie or a fun activity, but find it hard to show up to go to church for three hours a week, you might want to check your priorities and consider your ways. Misplaced priorities. If we were to go through a list tonight, what should be number one on our list? God. Number one, right? Would everyone agree with that? God should be number one. What should be number two on your list? Let's say spouse, family. I would actually do 2A, 2B. 2A would be your spouse. To be would be the rest of the family, kids, etc. What would be third? I'd say ministry. I don't, someone said church. Church and God, I think, get tied together. Ministry and where you serve, I'd put that number three. And then number four would be self. So God, family, ministry. I think that's a pretty good priority list. And maybe your priorities in your life, you would do it a little different order. You could do whatever God leads you to do. So if that's your priorities, God, family, ministry, self. Look at what you do during the week. Is that really what your priorities are? Consider your ways. Say God's number one, then look at what you do during the week. Is God truly number one? Is family truly number two? If we're being honest, let's go pre-COVID and all that. A lot of people, job is number one. Job comes before God. Job comes before family. Now, job's important because without a job, you can't provide for your family. You can't do certain things, but job should never come above everything else. God should be number one. Family should be number two. Ministry should be number three. Self should be number four. We see a lot, and you get on Facebook, and you see people a lot, self-care. I got to take care of self. And there are times you do got to take care of self. I I believe in that. I do. There are times where I just, I go hiking by myself far away from my phone working, just away because I need to clear my head. That's self-time, and I think self-time is good. But if self-time becomes the number one priority in my life, I've got things out of whack. God's supposed to be number one, family number two, ministry three, and fourthly, self. Many pastors mess it up, and they put ministry above family. And think about this. I have no ministry if I have no family. True. Priorities. God's people had been given a chance to build the temple, and they put it off, and they took care of themselves and put God off. first message was a message on misplaced priorities. Number two, there was a message on disappointed expectations. We look at chapter number two. So they get working, and it says, In the seventh month in the 120th day of the month came the word of the Lord by the prophet ha- now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw the house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when he came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. A message of disappointed expectations. The people were obedient to God, yet still they had some disappointment. It didn't turn out quite like what they thought it was going to. You see, there was an older generation that remembered what Solomon's temple looked like. You read about Solomon's temple as it was built, all the gold, the beauty, the splendor. You know for a fact that this temple in beauty and splendor didn't compare to Solomon's temple. And some people saw that. And they're very sad about that. The book of Ezra even explains it a little bit better for us, where it says that the, there were people who had never seen a Solomon's temple, and they rejoiced in this temple. But then there were those who saw Solomon's temple, and they mourned when they saw the new temple. And people couldn't tell if they were rejoicing or mourning at the noise that they heard. And we see this right before our eyes, and as we look at this and we think about this, you got to understand something. There's dangers in comparing God's work today from what you remember it being in the past. The past is... I got to spend some time on the phone with Pastor Cruz and our former pastor here. Pastor here almost 38 years for anniversary a week from Sunday he and his wife are going to be down with us and be here on that day. And just telling me, it's so different. The church he pastored 38 years ago is a completely different church than I pastor today. The church I pastored 10 years ago going on 10 in just another month is a different church than the church I pastored today. And in those 38 years that he was here that had different, you know, I saw a picture and you're going to see this picture on that Sunday. John O'Donnell had dark hair and a lot of hair at that. I see this guy, they were burning their more. they were burning the church mortgage here in 85. The year I was born is when you were burning the mortgage. That's crazy, isn't that? You think about, that's crazy. But we didn't get to. I didn't get to experience any of those things. I don't know what it's like to pay for a building and to be able to burn your mortgage. I know what it's like to raise twenty thousand dollars in a week to get a roof done. It's different things. I don't know what it was like the first few years of the church, where the within the first two months they were thrilled to have under a dollar above budget. And their budget was nothing. They were thrilled to have in the general fund after paying what they needed to 86 cents. I don't know what that's like. It's different. Some people say 50 years ago it was easier to get people to church. Some people say it's hard in 2020. Do You know, God works all the time. It doesn't matter. God can still work. It doesn't matter what year it is. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. God can still work. But we can't compare the good old days with the new days or any of those things because we see the disappointed the people. I think a great quote is this, walking forward while looking backward is a recipe for an unhappy life. And what God is telling them here as you read those verses, you've got to realize something, this temple, this temple might not have been as beautiful as Solomon's temple. But do you know this temple would have something happen in it that Solomon's temple never got to have happen? Do you know in about five hundred years from this time, Jesus Christ would walk through this temple. He didn't get to walk through Solomon's temple. Great things happen in that temple. It's the temple that Jesus walked in. And I want you to understand something. You got to understand God has bigger plans than what we can understand. Our future is brighter than the past. You just keep moving forward for God. You might even look, and 2020's been an awful year, if we're being honest, okay? If I could take a pass on a year, 2020 is the year. I would just say, you know, just get, I think Carla's good. To, I got that one from Carla. I think that's, if I could explain 2020, Carla does it for me. That's 2020, the perfect explanation of the year. But God's still in control. God's still working, and we see that there was a message about misplaced priorities and a message on disappointed expectations. And then the third message was a message on unholy, unholy motivation. We look at verse number 10, it says, "...in the four-and-twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment... And whether his skirt do touch bread or podge or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer here is unclean. And he says, and now I pray you consider from this day. He's saying again, consider your ways. Look at it. Take a good deep look. And we see him reminding them that you've got to be clean. And he's telling them they need to be clean. And how can you do these things being unclean? And how there was judgment again. And he says in verse 18, you see consider used another couple times. It's used over and over again in these two chapters. And then we see... The fourth message was a message of an unseen future. Verse 20 through verse 23, and this, I love this, it says, And again the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four-and-twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of kingdoms of the heathens, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother." In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shatiel, saith the Lord, and I'll make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. You say, what is that all talking about? God is giving a future hope of God's kingdom that He's going to rule and reign. Do you know Zerubbabel? was from David's line. David's line is very important. The future promise of the Messiah and God's ultimate rule and reign on the earth would flow through David's seed. Zerubbabel was important. It restored that line to get to Jesus and how powerful that is. But as we look at these four messages They're very relevant to us, all four of them. Do you ever struggle with misplaced priorities? Anybody in the room? Yeah, I think I do. Do you ever struggle with disappointed expectations? You expect something to happen and then it doesn't happen the way you think. You get disappointed. Do you struggle with unholy motives? behind it but it isn't always that way do you struggle with an unseen future well what's the answer what's the answer what i titled haggai tonight what's the answer the answer is very very simple are you ready very deep are you ready for the answer to all four of these things to our misplaced priorities our disappointed expectations our unholy motives our unseen future are you ready the word of God. Say, what do you mean? 29 times in 38 verses. You see, let's go back to chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, and the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord. Verse number 3, then came the word of the Lord. Verse number... i think you get the what i'm trying to say 29 times in 38 verses the word of the lord is mentioned say so pastor what are you trying to say the answer tonight how do you fix misplaced priorities get in the word hey how do you fix disappointed expectations you get in the word how do you fix unholy motives in your life you get in the word how do you fix struggling with an unseen future you get in the word God's Word is the answer for everything. We need to obey it. We need to trust it. We need to soak it up. We need to hear it. We need to learn it. We need to live it. We need to follow. We just simply need to get in the Word. That's the solution tonight. The book of Haggai, what's the answer? The people, the temples lay desolate all this time. Their priorities aren't right. They get disappointed. We see their motives aren't right. We see that they're They struggle with that unseen future. May I just tell you tonight? Their answer was the word. And God used Haggai to speak to them over and over and over again, the word of the Lord. You know what we need in 2020? We don't need a vaccine. We need the word. Hey, Christian, you need the word. Get in the word. Fall in love with the word. Read the word. Spend time in the word. You know, I heard several Christians tell me when this whole thing started in March, man, pastor, I've been reading my Bible more than what I've read in a long time. How's that going today? So why are we almost six months into this thing and it's still here? Maybe we haven't learned our lesson yet. Get in the Word. Your priorities aren't right tonight? Get in the Word. Get disappointed easily with your expectations? Get in the Word. Your motives not right? Are they unholy? Get in the Word. Just get in the Word. The Word is what the people needed. You see what happens when we get focused on ourselves, and that's a big problem with the people. They got focused on themselves. If you focus on self, you can't focus on the word too. I know there are many ladies in the room that can do multiple things at one time. Men were not made that way. And maybe there are a few men in this world that are that way, but I don't know very many. There's a sports game on and your wife's trying to talk to you. You're either going to listen to your wife or you're going to watch the game. You cannot do both. And when you try to do both, that's when you get in the most trouble. Because you don't catch it. An, and after you've been married a few years, you pick up, you just got to remember a few of the last words and you can try and do both, but it doesn't always work out very well. But it's a thought there. Men are not very good at doing two things at once. In Christianity, no one's good at doing two things at once. doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. You are either spiritual or you're fleshly. There's no No man can serve two masters. There's no two ways about it. Either you're full of God and his ways, or you're full of self. If your priorities are out of whack, if things aren't where they need to be, get to God's word.